playoff times, baby. I can't freaking wait. Uh, so welcome to That's a Rap Podcast, a podcast by Raptors fans, for Raptors fans. And it's the playoffs. We're recording this on Friday, April 15th, right before the Raptors face the 76ers for the third time uh, in playoff history, I guess, for us. Uh, Jay, how are you, my friend? I'm good, man. Um, I guess happy easter uh, happy good friday i don't know if, if anyone celebrates but like if it's good it's, it's yes. a it's a joyous time honestly like when you said that it, when you said friday i was like it feels like saturday but then again I, then i'd be yeah. wearing like four different types of raptors gear right now but that's not the case <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm very happy to 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 join you and i'm very happy about our special guest today absolutely we've got the editor-in-chief over at liberty ballers We've got Paul Hudrick on the line. Hey, man, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you here. And yeah, how excited are you for the series? Uh, excited is a word you could use. Um, <laughs> anxious might be a little bit better. Yeah, no, but I, I really yeah. appreciate you guys having me on. And um, it, like you said, this is you know third time that they're going to meet. And both times it went, you know, it, it's 1-1. And both in dramatic, dramatic fashion. So mm-hmm. um, I don't anticipate this really being much different at all yeah no i 100 agree can can we not have it i don't know come down to the last (laughs) second on game seven just just once that's all i'm asking like for the sake of all of our our relative hearts here like i'd like to i'd like to survive into may like physically so i don't know that's just a small (laughs) ask of me i don't know yeah no I, i was just about to say paul uh we obviously this is a raptor centric podcast we we talk about raptors all the time we we live and breathe it we haven't actually had a chance to talk to a sixers representative or a sixers fan uh about you know things that have unfolded when it comes to the past two uh series in the playoffs and I, i'm sorry paul i'm sorry to relive it with you uh you know not sorry so not sorry on, on raptor's behalf but i gotta ask you man and i'm pretty sure raptor listeners right now are wondering the same thing the four bounces the four bounces and 2019 we all know who it was we know what happened we all know what day it was when where we were okay but paul i need to ask you from a sixers perspective when you saw that four bounce shot from Kawhi in the corner over joel Embiid. What was the general feeling around like Philly fan base team wise? What happened, man? There's there's a lot to unpack here. Um, so yeah. <laughs> for me, I, I was actually there. I was at Scotiabank Arena. I was covering at the oh, time damn. for NBC Sports Philadelphia. So I was there uh, up, you know, obviously a huge media contingent. So I'm upstairs with a lot of the Philly people. Um, so we're like, you know, in the hockey press box area and mm-hmm. we're at, I'm at midcourt. And I just remember the first bounce, I sw- like it felt like it hit the ceiling, like it just and it just like hung in the air forever. It was the most right. bizarre, weird feeling ever. And then I just remember some one of the other reporters, like as it was about to go in, just be like, "Oh wow!" Like because it was just so mind boggling that shot had just gone in. Um, and then for me, like I had to write, so I was like, "Okay, like." cool here we go like and just had to kind of carry up and and submit something and get all that in so it was it was a pretty intense um few minutes for me as far as that goes but i was actually pretty proud of the final product when i go back i actually every once in a while i'll go back and read that because i'm like you know what paul you did pretty darn good job considering (laughs) everything that was going on there but in philly you know i think 
the Philadelphia fan psyche, it's so unlike anything else in any other city. And it's funny because, you know, I, I grew up around here. I grew up um, in South Jersey, but it's like I, I could get I could throw a rock at the arena and the sports complex from here. Um, and I grew up with it all. And I thought like, OK, like this is how this is how people react to sports. Like this is normal behavior. And then you kind of <laughs> get a little bit more cultured and you see some other people. And you're like, wait, nope, we are really weird and crazy. And that's just the way we are. So. Um, when you guys heard that Sixers fans were like, oh, there's magnets in the rim. You probably were like, yeah, what is wrong with these people? But I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> far for the course. I, I get it. Like we hold hurt for so long. Um, it's just what we do here. It's it, like the, the term that we use is negadelphia because it's just <laughs> negadelphia. Everyone just wow. holds that. It's like it's like we almost in, like for so long, we almost enjoyed being like the lovable loser because so for me. Uh, I'm 37, so I was born in 1985. The Sixers won their last title in 1983. From 1983 up until 2008, Philadelphia sports did not have a single championship. So I grew up mm. my entire life without seeing mm. anything, mm. nothing from the Phillies, nothing from the Flyers, uh, nothing from the Eagles. Um, and then 2008 comes and the Phillies were great and they win a World Series. And um, that took away some of that sting. And of course, you know, not that long ago, the Eagles won the Super Bowl, although that feels like... Sorry. A really long time ago now but yeah i, I mean I, it just you ask how the psyche was then but i gotta be honest with you like no one's over it still it's it's really? april 15 2022 <laughs> nobody is over it like everyone's still reliving it and and one of the things i thought too which i'm sure you guys will appreciate again i, I I'm, I'm you know i'm 37 years old so like i grew up worshiping alan iverson and like that was how i became like you know i was a sixers fan my whole life but that's what really vaulted mm -hmm. basketball to me as like number one is when Allen Iverson showed up. And you'll remember, of course, when the Sixers beat the Raptors in game seven in 2001 and the Vince Carter graduation thing happened. And we mm -hmm. just all teed off on Vince Carter and had so much fun with that. And I'm like, you know what? This is pretty good karma. We made fun of Vince Carter. And now here we are. <laughs> Joel Embiid's crying. Everybody's making fun of Joel Embiid. I'm like, this is this is exactly what we kind of deserve here. But um, yeah, man, it, it's 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 this Phil, like I said, the Philadelphia sports fan psyche is so bizarre. And I, I guarantee you not a single Sixers fan has let go of 2019 since, even though like nobody is there from 2019. Yeah. And that's uh, the thing uh, is like you, you, you bring that up and like, it's funny. Cause like, and I think this is probably why Jason and I are laughing because we Raptors fans also have this, this nagging, like negativity around the team. Like oh, 100%. there is yeah. very like as, as optimistic as, as Raptors fans are about this matchup. There is like zero optimism about game one. Game one, a game one loss by the Raptors is like <laughs> stamp that, like put money on it. Like that is a guarantee. That's the feeling that mm -hmm. Raptors fans have. I think we're something like what what is it, Jason? Like one out of nine or something like that in game one. Yeah, something it's it's almost double digits now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So um, ironic since they beat the Sixers in game one in 2019. Yeah, that was the that was like the yeah. one game where like we lost to the Magic, you know, lost to the Bucks, you know, and it's 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 not a it's not a great feeling to have right knowing that you know if yeah. anything there's it's almost like the raptors fans just want to enter a series as like a huge underdog we live for that underdog mentality whereas now it's like mm -hmm. it's not really the case and it's i'm not saying that the, the raptors are favored or anything but it's no just like, i get you there's there's that negative cloud still hanging over right so i don't know it's and yeah 
I want to, and, and speaking back about like, you know, the Vince Carter era, I'll, I'll tell you, Paul, like the, when, when you guys, when you're talking about how you guys riffed about, you know, the Vince Carter and going to graduation, I'll tell you this, Toronto for a long time, very long time, have not forgiven for that either. <laughs> and until recently, until we had like, you know, a tribute video for Vince Carter when he was like in Memphis or something like that. And then, and, and it was not, uh, it, it finally, was he in Dallas? I, I, I don't remember where it was, but it's like it, it finally hit all of us that, you know what, without Vince Carter, Toronto might not even be here. So it took a while for Vince Carter to actually be in the in the good books for the Raptors. And I, I honestly think I was talking to a coworker about this, um, that Philadelphia team in 2019, if they have gotten past the Raptors, I 100% feel like they would have won the championship. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, JJ Redd, how that team was incredible. It was incredible. So I want to give kudos to that team. And the fact that we got scraped and clawed away from that, I feel like that was the reason why we won. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, I mean, listen, and again, something we talk about things honing Sixers fans right now. I'm sure you guys are aware of the whole DeAndre Jordan situation here and how mm. uh, Sixers fans are really hoping that Doc Rivers doesn't go to DeAndre Jordan. And um, I don't think he will, actually. I think you're going to see Paul Reed. But um, anyway, um, you know, of course, 2019, everyone points out fairly. Um, well, first off, for the entire series, I think Embiid was like a plus 100. And then whenever he was off the floor, they were like a minus 90. Um, yeah, yeah. So like there's yeah. that. And then on top of it, um, game seven, everyone always points to Greg Monroe played less than two minutes and was a minus nine in a game they lost at the buzzer. Like, so if they had anything like forget everything else you could throw about, like for the Sixers, like, oh, this could have happened. That could have happened. A passable replacement level backup center. And they win that series. It's just, and so like, and I think already we're all already talking about it because it was similar. Like you said, they got Jimmy Butler um, right now, the Sixers, they got James Harden. Like they loaded back up, they loaded up for this championship run and yeah. a backup center might be the thing that foils them again, which is just, it's insane. Yeah. And it's, I laugh because, you know, I was, I was actually a guest on, on Liberty Ballers podcast last night, which should be coming out today. And that's almost word for word what Sean said as well, right? In terms of, in terms of Embiid's minutes, in terms of the Greg Monroe experience, and yeah, the Raptors fans are are definitely you know licking their chops at the the thought of DeAndre Jordan entering the game at any point during the series, and that and that's kind of been, you know what what's been the case in in Philadelphia. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like that's been the case for as long as Embiid's been at this stage in his career, like as long as I could. I probably say even before the 2019 series where it's like, yeah, they no, thrive when he's on and then they suffer when he's yeah, off. Right. No. Yeah. I mean, and you know, um, as much as the Al Horford signing was a disaster, the backup five minutes he played actually yeah. worked out really well. Um, he played really well with Ben Simmons. He played really well with Tobias Harris. And um, from that perspective, um, you know, you don't want to pay $20 million for a backup center, but he was a really good backup center that worked out pretty well. And to start the season, uh, Andre Drummond was terrific. He, he was for that role. Andre was perfect. I, I have a feeling, it, it, you know, with the nets, them running him as basically a starter and playing him starters minutes. I think that could come back to bite them potentially. But um, here as Joel and beats backup playing like 10, 15 minutes, the occasional spot start, 
he was absolutely terrific. But you're right that, I mean, everything else has been failed. 2019, I mean, they tried everything. Um, To start the year, they had like, you know, they had Mike Mascala playing some back of five minutes. Um, You know, Boban obviously was good in the first series. Toronto ran him off the court. They had a, a young um, Australian big guy named Jonah Bolden, who they tried at times. That mm-hmm. was disastrous. And then obviously Greg Monroe. Greg Monroe was actually like okay in the Brooklyn series. And I even think he was okay in like one or two games in the Toronto series, but then obviously completely unmitigated disaster in, in game seven. Um, this year it's different in the fact that I think Paul Reed is actually – like I would say he's better than anyone they had probably in 2019 um, just because he's actually a really good athlete. He's a really good rebounder. He's super, super active. And as long as he kind of mm-hmm. stays in his lane, he can be really effective for them. Um, the fouls are a very big issue, but um, I will take the fouls and the activity over whatever it is that Doc Rivers thinks that DeAndre Jordan does. Yeah. And, and so how do you see then how the minute should play out? Like, I know Embiid was saying yesterday in his his presser that you know he's he's good. Like in fact, don't even think about like like I'm not I'm paraphrasing here, but he's basically saying the more he plays, the better he he gets, right? So what do you see as his like what can he take minutes loads wise? Can he go you know 40, 42 minutes and and minimize his time on the bench? Like how far can he go? And I assume you you'd say that the the backup minutes for him or those other eight to six six to eight minutes are going to, to Paul Reed. Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, I mean, Joel Embiid was very candid yesterday. So, I mean, Joel Embiid is always decently <laughs> candid, but he um he basically said, like, he thought that the way they, like, the load management thing was actually a mistake for him. And, you know, he didn't want to pin it on anyone in the organization or blame anyone there. He just said, like, in hindsight, like, the better he plays, um the, the, the better he feels. And, you know, that's fair. There's something to that. When you're seven foot and, you know, he, he will never tell us his actual weight, but when you're seven foot, 280 let's go with um right now uh and you move like he does you know because he's so athletic and he's so got such tremendous footwork and you know and and you know some of the plays he makes are very un big man like you know it puts a toll on your body and so like i understood why the previous regime did that and why they tried to um you know try to you know keep his body preserved especially after all the injuries he went through early in his career but when you're that big and you do so much, like I get it. Like it's, it's probably very easy to just kind of lose your fitness level. And I think that's what he was kind of getting at is that over the years, he's tended to fall out of shape, not because he's not, you know, not because he's, he's, he's doing anything he's not supposed to be doing just because he's not playing. And so he's not getting that, those basketball reps and it causes him to kind of fall back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, with Joel, I mean, it's, I, I'm so impressed. So I've been covering the Sixers roughly like six years now. And so I, I've been here okay. the entire time he's been here. And I remember seeing him. The Sixers didn't used to have their really super lush, nice practice facility on the Camden waterfront in South Jersey. They used to be in this dusty, crappy old gym that was connected to um, like a, a small uh, medical college. And it was like this crappy gym. and It was awful. And I remember Embiid when he was out, when he wasn't playing the first two years of the navicular bone um, fracture, he was like working out in the gym and it was almost like mythical to see him. It's like, Oh wow. Joel Embiid is, is doing stuff like everyone. Cause people didn't think he was even going to play at that point. People thought like, ah, this is, you know, this is Greg Odin. This is yeah, like, he's, gonna he's never going to play. <laughs> um, and then lo and behold, he did. And you know, he still had, you know, he had that meniscus his rookie year, but he even pointed out he's, he's not wrong either. Like, 
he hasn't really had any major injuries since his rookie year in that meniscus. Everything else has been kind of more on the nagging side um, and like freak stuff, like nothing where it's, oh, he, you know, he did, you know, he's not in shape, blah, blah, blah. But um, he, with all that said, the last two years, um, he's hired a world-class dietitian. Uh, he has really focused on being in the best shape humanly possible. Um, I know he credits a lot of this to, um, he had a son, his son, Arthur, two years ago, and that seems to have kind of sharpened his focus and like really, he's really just been mentally and physically, he is in such a ridiculously good place. You saw it coming last year. This year, it's on another level. I think weirdly, the Ben Simmons stuff actually made him, it, it put, it forced him to be in more of a leadership role because he had to, because there was no, like, you know, like it was so not that it wasn't his team when Ben was here, but now it was so clearly his team um, without Ben there. Yeah. And he kind of just told everybody like, listen, we're, I, I can't care about Ben Simmons because he's not here. I'm focused on the guys that are here. Everyone kind of like hop on or, or get the hell out of the way. And that's kind of the mentality he's taken all season. And um, because of that, it's a kind of long winded way to your question. Um, I think he's going to play. Like I, I think doc rivers even said yesterday, that or maybe it was the other I can't remember one of these days when they practiced that he felt like in that Hawk series last year that Joel maybe could have played more minutes if he was in slightly better shape uh I think he's in the best shape he's been in since he was at Kansas and I'm not even exaggerating he looks he yeah, looks wow. terrific um and you mm -hmm. can just see it in his body like he's he just looks way more svelte but he's still got plenty of strength and um so I I would I would bet he is close to 40 minutes on every night depending on what go depending on what happens because um i do think that paul reed is going to be the guy who gets the backup five minutes a lot of the things that doc Rivers said after the last game of the season hinted to that um you know talking about the raptors being such an excellent offensive rebounding team paul reed's a guy who can you know help mitigate that in a big way the raptors are long they're athletic paul reed is long he's athletic um Doc said he wants to use DeAndre Jordan during, you know, with with bigger bigs on the court. Well, the Toronto Raptors do not feature a big big. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that le all of that leads me to believe that Paul Reed will get the first crack. And I think to also answer your question about Joel Embiid's minutes, I think it's going to depend on how that looks. So if Joel comes out and they're up, I don't know, picking they're up like five. And then Paul Reed comes in and then they're down five. You might see Joel Embiid come in a lot sooner. Um, I, I think Doc's going to kind of gauge it that way. But if the minutes are going well, then you might see Joel. If they're playing even with the Raptors, then maybe he tries to ride that a little bit longer and get Joel a little bit more rest. So um, I, I would say like when the series is over, I would be surprised if he's not averaging roughly 40 minutes a night. Hmm. I remember uh, when that Ben Simmons ordeal was happening and, and you were saying how Joel Embiid was very candid during his pressers. And I, re I do remember like when he wasn't focused or when Ben Simmons didn't want to play with the team, Joel Embiid didn't really remark on it. He would, he almost didn't really say Ben Simmons name. He's like, if you don't want to be in the team, then don't play. And whoever wants to be in the team, then let's go, let, let's go boss the walls. And, and I, before the season even began, I remember saying that if Ben Simmons isn't here anymore, this is going going to be Joel Embiid's team and now since then we all know what happens you know they traded uh for James Harden Philadelphia sends out Ben Simmons Seth Curry Andre Drummond in order to get James Harden and Paul Millsap and now I want to ask you Paul James Harden he's 
I, we haven't seen the James Harden we've seen in Houston, even partially in Brooklyn yet. I don't know if that guy is still there, but I want to know that it's, I feel like James Harden understands that this isn't his team. It's, it's Joel's. Do you think that James Harden is the right fit for, uh, to be the, you know, last puzzle piece around James or around Joel Embiid? That's a what's like two hundred and sixty million dollar question um, right there because uh, not like um, there's plenty of evidence that suggests that he certainly could be. Um, yep. As you pointed out, we haven't seen you know, and, and we're, we might never see quite that you know Houston James Harden like that guy might not exist anymore. But the James Harden that played for the Brooklyn Nets last season. I think the Sixers would gladly take that guy who was mm-hmm. their starting point guard and just ran the show. And just when he had the need, you know, when, when he felt like he had to take over games, he took over games um, playing with a super talented player. And, you know, I- I'll say this. James has been really good with um, it is Joel's team. Joel should be the MVP. Like he's been very much like, yes, I have the ball a lot. And yes, I'm good. And, and like, yes, I'm going to be a big part of this. But Joel Embiid is our guy. Like he, he is, he is the, the straw that stirs the drink. Like he is, he is mm-hmm. the focal point of our offense. Um, with all that said, I, I, I tend to think, and maybe this is just me being optimistic. Uh, James Harden's current issues that we've seen crop up at the end of this year are more about an injury with that hamstring than they are about him being like you know washed or something. Like I think. I still right, think right. he's a really good player. Um, even when he's limited with that hamstring, I still think he's a really good player. And we've seen it in spurts. It's funny. You talk about the Raptors maybe dropping game one. I think they do only because I think James Harden has had a week off. And so I think that hamstring is going to be mm. nice and rested. And I think he's going to feel really good. So I, I anticipate James Harden actually having a, a pretty damn good game one. Um, after that, your guess is as good as mine, I think, as far as his ability to score the basketball. We haven't seen that burst um, when he's turned a corner. So like at first, when he first got here, not to get too like in the weeds with like X's and O stuff, but like when he first got here, they trapped everything on, a, on the Joel Embiid, James Harden, pick and roll. Just every time trap James Harden, get the button. And then he had to get the ball to Joel Embiid on that short roll. And then Joel had to kind of make choices from there. But then Joel kind of flourished doing that, right? Like he was, yep. cause he's such mm-hmm. a great mid range shooter. He was hitting those little foul line free throws. He's become such a better passer that he was finding the corners for threes or finding um, Matisse Thibel or whomever ducking in and, and, and on cuts and, you know, getting easy layups that way. So once they kind of started doing that, but then teams also noticed that James maybe wasn't, um, didn't have that burst, wasn't turning the corner as well as he, as he had been, they just started switching it. And so they just started, it just became every time that the big would just switch on the Harden and then they would just double Joe when he, when he went to repost. Um, and unfortunately James uh, more often than not has not been able to beat the big um, and it's yeah, been really yeah. troubling. It's been difficult to watch, but again, it's come and gone because, you know, they played Mo- the Milwaukee bucks not that long ago at home. And that was a hell of a game. They, you know, they, they had every chance to win it and they were in it right until the, you know, the last buzzer. Um, James was sensational. Um, he had like 32 points. He had like 14 assists. Like he was, he was James Harden. Like it was vintage James Harden that night. He was terrific. Um, so I think those performances are still there. I think he can still produce them. You just can't expect him to do it every night and it's going to kind of come in spurts and he's going to have to feel the game out. Um, the last time they played Toronto, even I thought 
really up until the fourth quarter, I thought James was terrific. I thought he was really kind of picking apart what Nick Nurse was doing to the Sixers. Um, I thought he was when, you know, so much attention was being paid to Joel and he was just kind of finding these holes in these seams. And I think he had 15 assists that night. But then what happened was the first, the fourth quarter came uh, Toronto switched some things up. And again, he just, especially with a team like Toronto who has, doesn't have a traditional bigs. They have, they switch, you know, so much stuff. And um, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're them, you don't mind Ken Birch or uh, Chris Boucher having to switch on James Harden. You'll, you'll be okay with that matchup. You'll live with that. Um, so from that regard, it, it, that that's like the big thing that like concerns me about him going forward. But I think that the, the question the Sixers have to answer as far as whether or not he is the long-term answer next to Joel Embiid is what I already said in that. Is it the hamstring or is he 32 and does he have a lot of tread? And is that just all starting to show up and catch up? Um, it's a very difficult question that I'm glad I don't have to make and that the six Daryl Morey can go ahead and make that one and uh, live with the results. But um, and yeah, I mean, as far as the series goes, series goes, like I said, I, I expect Harden to have the a big game or two here and there, including game one, maybe game two. Um, but then from there, your guess is as good as mine, because I think he's just been so up and down. And I think he's going to continue to be up and down, um, at least for the rest of this playoff run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to touch on a couple of things you said there, which is great. Like, I love that answer. And, and you know, you bring up the the X's and the O's and and. That's definitely what's going to happen here, right? In terms of of there will be nurses' scheme, defensive schemes are to switch everything, right? So you know, you know, that's why something like a, a Precious Achua starting on on Embiid and then switching on to Harden, the Raptors will absolutely live with, right? And you know, you reference Embiid's ability to to make decisions on on the short roll, and I I've been astonished with his growth in that area, right? I mean, you know, we. I hate to reference the 2019 series, but that is something where he wouldn't have made the passes he's making now in that series. It's a similar way in which Van Vliet struggled with with length in that series. He's also developed over these last three years and learned from that series that, all right, I need to, to get better at my mid-range game. I need to get better at my outside shot. And you know, I think that there's been growth from each of these guys since that series, and we're seeing that this year. As, as it pertains to what happens in those those hardened Embiid pick and rolls, you know, Embiid's going to be obviously pressured into making a quick decision. And I think a lot of pressure is probably going to fall on who can make the outside shot. And I'm, I'm surprised that we haven't brought up the name Tyrese Max yet. Cause I think he's going to be absolutely dangerous. Yeah. I, I, he's the, the person I almost worry about the most. Like we all know that Embiid's the best player in this series in terms of who that second best player will be. You know, it's right now, it seems like it'll be Siakam. And, and if that's the case, then we are looking at a six, seven game series. But if that person ends up being Harden, or if it ends up being an X factor like Tyrese Maxey, then forget about it. This Sixer series is over and Philly is done with the Raptors in five games. But I, I, I think about what, how the, the, the current roster construction works in Philadelphia's favor. And if you feel the same way, right? If, if, you know, Embiid's probably going to get his 30 easily. He'll get his 30 and 15 and, and get to the line 10 times at least. But he'll he'll need that support. And we already talked about what it'll look like coming off the bench, but what is that looking like around him, right? And, and you know, whether or not Harden has that burst back, he, he will have some open threes. Like, I, I have no doubt about that based off of how the Raptors are going to trap Embiid. But is there is there someone else that that the Raptors should worry about? I mean, it probably is Maxi. But is there anyone else that the Raptors should worry about that will get those open shots? Yeah, I mean, you, it, it's Maxi. I mean, like this 
I don't want to overstate it, but I also know like I I want to inform your fan base because this kid is like the real real deal. Uh, I he I think he's going to be a star. Like I think that's how yeah. good he is, and he's not quite there yet. Um, at 21 years old, only in his second season, his first season as a starter, uh, and playing on a you know a team that's trying to win a championship. It's his growth, his improvement is one of the most incredible things like I, I've seen out of a young player. He's not going to win most improved player, but man, he should be getting at least some love for it. This is a guy who, you know, when he left Kentucky after one year, he shot 29% from three. That was the knock on him. That's why he slipped to the Sixers at 21 because like 20 teams pass on this guy because they, including the Miami Heat who drafted Precious Achua, but that's a whole other thing. Um <laughs> But 20 teams passed on this guy because he couldn't shoot, because they thought he couldn't shoot. So he falls into the Sixers' lap. As a rookie, he's, um, he, he definitely showed tremendous flashes. He basically won them a playoff game in game six in Atlanta. Yep, he did. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah. the shot was still like a work in progress. I think he wound up finishing the season around 30% last year. And so that was kind of always a thing like, all right, like he's got, he's so fast, he's so lightning quick. Um, you know, he could beat anybody off the dribble. His the floater game, he got so much better finishing through contact around the rim and, and you know, getting to the free throw line. If he could just start making the, the you know, making the three ball at a consistent, consistent level, like we're talking like, oh, maybe you make like 35%, that could open up everything else for you. Well, he decided not nah, 35% is not good. I'm going to go ahead and shoot 41% from three this year. Um, <laughs> and on top of that, it's not like, to your point, it's not like, ah, Joel Embiid's passing out of double. He's wide open hitting threes. That That's some of it. But a lot of it is he's developed his own little step back shot. It's it's a little bit different from Harden's. It's almost like a, a side step back. Um, and he's hit that, even that at a high rate. I think he's like around, like he's, he's close to 40% on pull-up opportunities, which is insane uh, for a second, again, a second year guy who that wasn't in his bag really a year ago. Um, so to just see his growth, uh, from a guy who, again, was the 21st overall pick, who, who so many people questioned whether or not he was going to be able to shoot the basketball to become what he is now. And like, I think he is 100% on an all-star track. Uh, I'll say the consistency is the biggest concern. So we'll see what he does in this series. I, I'm actually really curious. I think he's going to be great because the bright lights tend to, to shine on him very well. He, he seems to do well in these big spots and these big moments. Um, that Again, that even goes back to Kentucky. Um, I think it was like opening night. They played Michigan state and he's bombing like 35 foot threes and he had a big night. Um, so like, I, I think he does well in the spotlight. He doesn't really get phased by anything. Um, he's just, he is like, and on top of that, like just on a personal, like off the court, he is the most personable, likable kid. I think I've ever covered. Like he works his butt off. Um, he's the son of a coach. So, you know, he's always had that instilled in him. Um, you know, he grew up in Texas He's like the most super polite thing. So like there was a thing um, in on media day where uh, it was the first time I had actually, he had seen any of us face to face because his whole rookie year was all zooms. And I had asked the question and when I got done, he stopped. He goes, wait, I got to stop. He's like, first of all, he, he referred to me as Mr. Paul. And he said, Mr. <laughs> Paul, he's like, this is incredible. I've never seen your face before. He's like, I, all this, talk, all this talk on zoom. Like I've never seen you before. And he's like, I don't even remember what your question was. Please ask it again. It was like so funny. But uh, and then the Mr. Paul nickname is obviously stuck with uh, my SB Nation uh, fan <laughs> here. But um, but no, he is just like he's he's worked so hard. He's so likable. He's so determined to be great. 
he's so coachable. Like Doc Rivers was like on his, has been on his ass for two years, like just in his ear. Like ask any player on the team. George Niang talks about it all the time. Like how every practice it was just your Tyrese, Tyrese, like just yelling at him constantly. And he's just really taken to it. And you're seeing it on the court. And if he could just be consistent, that's, that's, that's the next level for him because he's shown flashes of brilliance. So if he could just put it together consistently, I think 100% guys, he is, certainly the X factor of this series. If he can be like, like you mentioned, if he could be one of the top three, four players on the court throughout the series, um, I really like the Sixers chances a lot. Yeah. And I'll, yeah. and I'll, I, I love what you said there. And, you know, I'll, I'm going to go off on a tangent, and bring it back to Maxi, but Raptors fans are obsessed over whether or not Scotty Barnes can win rookie of the year. So much so that they, uh, a couple of, of Twitter folks have been tracking every single media vote and and <sighs> confirming who's been voting for whom and there's this tracker that we've all been kind of keeping our eyes on and part of this is the MIP tracker so you're right Tyrese Maxey is not going to win MIP but one voter Kevin O'Connor has Tyrese Maxey as his MIP. So Kevin O'Connor is is very well liked in the Raptors fan base because he also has Scotty Barnes' rookie of the year. I'm just throwing that out there. Kevin O'Connor seems to be yeah. fine with both of our fan bases right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, he's not, unfortunately. Well, listen, oh, no. Uh, here's the issue. Um, uh, Joel Embiid is up for a pretty big award as well. And he not only oh, did he not vote for Joel Embiid as the MVP, but now there's this new thing where Joel Embiid is going to be runner-up for MVP two years in a row and be second team all NBA two years in a row, oh which just goodness. seems so unjustified and unfair. And all these, uh, and like, uh, I, I hate to say it cause I'm part of the media, but like all these media guys are just putting up these garbage reasons for why, like I saw Z and like, I love Zach Lowe. Zach Lowe's incredible at what he does, but he has bam out of bio on his all defensive team as a no. forward, but then doesn't no. want to list Jokic and Embiid on his all NBA first team. And then he, some of his, his reasoning was just like nonsense. He's like, ah, oh, it's because bam out of bio, guards guards sometimes and it's like okay well Jokic plays point guard so he's like come <laughs> right, on what are right, you doing here right. like so yeah so so I, I believe KOC had Jokic as the MVP and then had um yeah Embiid's I could his be runner mistaken up. though and I think he had oh you're right you're right he's yeah, got and then Jokic on his all NBA first team and, and Embiid on the second team which is gonna yeah that's not gonna go over well but I, so you know what in a weird way I think Sixers fans should be happy about it because Joel Embiid's it's gonna get back to Joel Embiid and he's gonna get mighty pissed off and I think that's only gonna serve him well you're right. You're that's, right. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. All right, uh, Pa, I know you got to run. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back with uh, the session that everyone wants to know predictions. All right, let's take a break. We'll talk to you guys soon. Welcome back to That's a Rap Podcast, a podcast by Raptors fans, full Raptors fans. In the beginning of the session, we were talking fully about the 76ers because it's the playoffs, baby. The Raptors are about to face the 76ers in game one on Saturday on primetime, which is which is kind of crazy because normally we talk about, you know, a Sunday afternoon game. Uh, but Paul, 
now is the time that we have to ask you. We've gone through the stats. We've gone through James Harden. We've gone through uh, Joel Embiid and also Tyrese Maxey. There's a lot of other names, but we have to ask you, man, the optimistic and pessimistic take about this about this series let us hear it let us know what you think about the series as a whole before we go through predictions so optimistic um i think if you're looking at it for the Sixers fans from an op- optimistic perspective you're hoping Joel Embiid has now seen all of the craziness that mad scientist nick nurse has thrown at him um and that he is much better and much more adept than we talked about it earlier at handling those those traps at finding the, the open man and, and and trusting his teammates and um you know and hope and trusting them to knock down shots so if you're an optimistic Sixers fan you're hoping that Embiid does that um and and sort of combats that and it forces Nick Nurse to have to make some adjustments and perhaps leaves him some opportunities to actually get his own offense uh the other thing is James Harden you have to hope he looks pretty close to James Harden. Um, you know, it, it, right. not, you know, if he's just the James Harden we saw when he first got here, I think the Sixers are in terrific shape. Uh, if he's just that guy, you know, again, hoping Tyrese Maxey can be the, the player, the flashes of brilliance. We, we see more of those in this series that that's also a big hope. And then I would say everything else is just about, well, Paul Reed playing backup center. That's that's definitely uh, an optimistic thing, I think, for Sixers fans. And it, it does seem like it's leaning that way. But I, I, you know, with Doc Rivers, that man is a wild card. So we will see. And then everything else is really about, like, hitting open shots. Like, uh, Tobias Harris is a guy we haven't talked about. But for Tobias, over the last few weeks, he's been so much better. Like, now he's really adjusted uh, playing with Harden and – He's not making like Tobias's thing is he just overthinks everything. He he doesn't make quick decisions. And with the Raptors, with their length, with the way they attack, uh, it, it's a bad matchup for him because it, it causes him to kind of get in his own head. Um, so if he is the confident, quick decision making Tobias Harris, who's seen over the last two weeks, who when he's open, he shoots it. When it's an aggressive closeout, he attacks it and then finishes the rim. If he could be that guy, that's going to be huge. Danny Green, I mean, I. I hope he finds the fountain of youth um, because I just, that, that's, that's his only knock on Danny. It's just that his health. And I'm just worried about, um, you know, apparently how Danny needs the ring ceremony every single game before he, yeah, there you go. Uh, that, that seems to give him a nice <laughs> boost, but he's been, uh, it's been a tough year for Danny. He's been really banged up. You know, obviously he had a pretty bad bout with COVID. I mean, it's been a, a difficult year for him. Yeah. He's a lot of tread on those tires. Obviously you guys know that, um, but uh, it showed up at times. I'm hoping that maybe this, you know, again, this week off will be beneficial for him and that he, um, you know, he'll, he'll look, you know, a little bit energized going into the playoffs. You have George Niang, uh, you know, uh, he's been their most consistent reserve, their most, their, their best guy off the bench. He's just got to make open shots and be passable on defense because that's my biggest concern. He is a, he is an on the ground, he's a below the rim player and the Raptors don't feature, I don't think any below the rim player. So that's going to be difficult for George, but if George can just play passable defense and then hit the shots when he's open, that that'll be great. Um, you know, it's he's stable. We even get into that whole situation. That's going to be, yeah. you know, games three, four, and I think six, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be really difficult for the Sixers. Not even just because stable is their most reliable perimeter defender, but because this isn't a very deep team. So, you take one rotational player away and that's going to have a big effect on the rest of the roster. So that's another reason why Danny green is going to be so super important in this series, because 
he's going to be their guy defensively, um, at least in games three, four, and six. Uh, he, he's going to have to be the one that, you know, if Fred looks like Fred from the first half of the season, uh, someone's going to have to check him. And it, it's it's not going to be an easy task, and you're going to need Thibel, um in that instance. Um, yeah, and then and, and Shake Milton's also a guy who I would say he's kind of their bench X factor because he's really come on recently over the last, I would say, month or so of the season. Uh, you know, he's this is a guy who's you know, he scored 39 points in an NBA game, like he can play. Uh, it's just a matter of he's had to get comfortable as well in his role, knowing where he is playing, you know, off James Harden, playing off Joel Embiid. But Shake can do a little bit of everything, he can shoot the ball, he can handle the ball a little bit. He's 6'6, so you know, again, he he actually fits in this series as a lo- you know, tall, long guy, um, that can play the guard multiple positions. So mm-hmm. um, he's going to be a pretty big factor as well. So the the optimistic side of that is all of those things happen, and that also Doc Rivers, for the love of God, um, plays good lineups and doesn't do <laughs> weird stuff that doesn't make any sense and doesn't over rely on any of the players that you know that that could be not a great matchup against the Raptors. Cool. Um, and then the pe- yeah. okay, and if you're looking for oh, the, right, pessimistic the pessimistic side, side it's like yeah. pretty much. You know, Joel Embiid refers back to his old ways against the Raptors and just, you know, really struggles, um, you know, finding, you know, passing out of double teams and getting trapped. James Harden looks old. Um, you know, Maxi doesn't step <laughs> up. It's just, pretty, just literally just like pretty much the opposite of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that's, that's true. pretty that's much true. The, the optimistic and pessimistic side is um, what, if these guys don't do that, if DeAndre Jordan is playing backup center and if Doc Rivers just decides, hey, you know what, Danny Green's going to play 40 minutes and it's like, ah, maybe you don't want to do that, Doc. Um, but yeah, those are the that that's probably the best way to look at it. I think that one thing that an X factor for me looking into this series is like, and this is neither pessimistic or optimistic. It's really just, uh, I, I think Philly's one of the 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 number one or one of the best teams at protecting the ball, and and the Raptors are number one at turning teams over, right? And yeah, and, and that's going to be a big factor in this in terms of okay. Well, the Raptors have a, a below average half court offense, so a lot of those points come from creating turnovers and getting out on the break. And that's where Philly struggles, right? Their transition defense is is bottom 10 in this league. And the Raptors are known for having one of the best transition offenses. But this is the playoffs, right? And, and transition opportunities don't happen as often as they do in the regular season. So I guess from uh, this is my long-winded way of saying that my pessimistic view on this is that, you know, if and when that trend, those transition opportunities are not available, especially with how good the Sixers take care of the ball, where is that offense going to come from, right? And can can their ability to take advantage of the offensive glass be enough, or you know, is this is this such a slow pace? And 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 because this is what I'm expecting, right? About a bunch of games that are under 100 from each team, you know, where is that offense going to come from from the Raptors? So that was my mm-hmm. long-winded way of saying that's what's pessimistic on the Raptors side, um, and leading into possible predictions here. Jason, you got anything? Yeah, absolutely. I think I wanted to touch upon the offensive rebounding. Um, I think that there was a game uh, against the Nuggets where basically the Raptors, like you said, Paul, they don't have a traditional center, but because we don't really need one at this point, we have everybody at 6'7", 6'8", 6'9". And I think what Nick Nurse's uh, philosophy is, if you don't have one center that can can will out-rebound it, out rebound us at least we have four forwards that can go against that one center so i feel like we've done really well against traditional bigs and again uh neither jokic or Embiid are really traditional bigs but they're very very athletic and and smart big men but we have done well against 
uh, bigger uh, opponents. And I feel like the out rebounding and all the offensive rebounding will be the difference maker when it comes to the Raptors. I think that's my optimistic side. Pessimistically, I mean, you have two of the uh, MVP caliber players, one of which who is, and I think should be the MVP in Joel Embiid and James Thank Harden. You. Again, I, I just, yeah, there you go. And I don't know if James Harden is the James Harden of old. I've really, because there, the, the last game against the Raptors and the 76ers, there was a couple of times where both Ken Birch and Pressure Chua was guarding James Harden and James Harden just couldn't pass by them like he used to. So I think that's the, that's the reason we haven't seen that yet when it comes to the pessimistic side. So, Jay, uh, after all the extremely uh, pointed and uh, well thought out thoughts about the 76ers by Paul, your predictions on this uh, series before we get to Paul's prediction? Raps in six. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I like I like the way these teams match up. I like the way the Raptors. Maybe there's a recency bias here because of how well the Raptors have played the, the Sixers in this past month. But I also think that, you know, we haven't even touched upon Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi who missed two of those games, right? So uh, mm-hmm. I'm optimistic about how they'll look. Uh, it, it is, you know, there's grain of salt, I guess, with, with those two coming back because um, as much as it's, it's going to be a boost to the offense and the defense to have them both back, they also aren't in game shape, to be honest, especially OG Ananobi who's missed about, I can't yeah. remember how many games now, but um, that's why I, I'm very much on the Raptors will lose game one bandwagon, but also I think that the Raptors can turn this around. I, I trust in the fact that Nick Nurse will outcoach Doc Rivers and, uh, you know, Raps. And this, if you think about this is the first time the Raptors at Scotiabank Arena will host a playoff game since the NBA finals. That, that crowd is going to be absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Uh, I say the Raps close it out in six. What say yeah. you, Paul? Uh, I say Sixers and seven, but I don't feel like super great about that. Um, the the biggest reason I, I leaned because I I agree I think it's really pretty evenly matched. I think there's a reason why these teams are four and five. Uh, I think yeah, they're yeah. both pretty 100%. damn close. I, I think the the reason I give the Sixers a slight edge, and it, it's going to probably sound a little biased and whatever, but um, just Joel Embiid, man, he is a different animal this year. You can just see it in them. It's been like this. Like I said, it was building last year. It's really culminated this year. Like I, I, he had a line yesterday where he said something to the effect of, I'm not here to worry about people's feelings. I'm here to win. Right. And it's like, wow. Like he never said stuff mm-hmm. like that before. Um, and I think it's a little bit of the Jimmy Butler um, attitude that rubbed off on him. Maybe, you know, a, a, a lot less brash than Jimmy Butler, <laughs> but um, you just see it in Joel. Like, like as, as corny and cliche as it is, like you look in his eyes and it's different. Uh, there was actually, it, it's a real quick story. Like they played the Hornets on like a Saturday afternoon. They had just dropped um, on the road to Phoenix at home to the Bucks in a close, in both close games. Then they had a stinker in Detroit where they lost. And then they had to come home on Saturday to play Charlotte back to back the Cavs the next day on the road. And the, the Hornets were hot at the time. They had won like eight to 10. They just got Gordon Hayward back who killed the Sixers all season long. And I'm thinking like, this is going to be a really close game. Like I think they win just because like it, it's at home and they, they lost, but it's going to be tight. I'm not even kidding. I looked at Joel Embiid warm up and I saw his face and I'm like, you know what? I changed my mind. They're going to crush this team. And they won by like 30. And I think Joel at at halftime had like 21, 10 and five assists. Um, So there's just something about him this year. That's on a different level. 
So, um, yeah, it, it's it's it, I, for that reason, I give the Sixers a slight edge and say that they pull it off in, in a seventh game. Just as long as it's not like a buzzer beater, like going into the corner <laughs> over Precious Achua or something. That's I can live with that, I guess. Like he's he totally. This is like the, this would be the sweetest of sweet redemptions, honestly. If 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 that that yeah. were to occur, and he totally has his, his earned it and deserves it. I mean, he is. You know, we were talking about it earlier. He's forty five pounds heavier than the heaviest Raptor and three <laughs> three inches taller. So he is a man. Like he's a man among boys, right? It, it, this is yeah. this is his series for the take. Uh, Jason, sorry, you were going to jump in. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Raptors in seven again. I don't feel good about that either. I'm going to be cautiously optimistic, but I do feel like this is a four and five seeding. It's supposed to be tight, and I can't wait for another classic, classic series between the 76ers and the Raptors. Paul, I again thank you so much for joining us on the Das Rep Podcast. Before we let you go, let us know where the listeners can find you, brother. Yeah, so I mean on Twitter at Paul Hudrick, and then obviously uh, LibertyBallers.com. We have uh, a great staff of writers. Um, I myself will be at all the home games and uh, we'll be providing great coverage um, as I'm sure Raptors HQ will as well. Sweet. Sounds good. All right. And you can find all of us at That's a Rap Pod. Uh, make sure to check us out during the uh, entire series. Hopefully it goes all the way to seven. And again, until then, that's a wrap. <laughs>